So that's where we find ourselves this morning is John chapter 4, verse 27. We will go through verse 42 this morning. We're going to consider those verses and the work of God in salvation and the work of the disciples of Christ as partners of God in God's mission to save sinners. Uh, First, we will pray to God, the Holy Spirit, to guide us through the passage, and then we'll read the text and then uh, break it down, making some observations and applications along the way. Uh, First, let us pray. Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you would reveal to us the scriptures this morning. By grace, may we find the plain meaning that the Father intends for us. According to grace, Lord, may we see Jesus and know him in a saving way this morning. We ask for all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus, who is our atoning sacrifice, Lord. Amen. Amen. So let us first read the passage, John chapter 4, beginning in verse 27. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him some something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is God's word. So several years ago, Heather and I were in Seattle for this uh, Reformed Theology Conference. And as we go down into this... uh, Stadium. We, we make our way uh, to these seats that we feel are kind of close enough to hear well, but yeah, far enough. You know how like when you go into a place that you know is going to be crowded, that you want to pick the spot where you think not everybody's going to crowd next to you. So we kind of, we're walking down there and we find this place to sit so we can see this and hear the, the speakers clearly. And as we go there, we're in Seattle, Washington, so we never expected to see anyone that we knew there. So we're seated down and I hear a familiar voice in the row in front of us. A man came to the row and asked of the man, the voice of whom was familiar to me. He says, is this seat saved? And the familiar voice was a friend of mine from McMinnville. And he replies, it isn't saved yet, but it is currently under conviction. (laughs) So as we look at our passage this morning, we will see that there's a vast difference between sorrow for sin and repentance. 
There's a vast difference for just being sad about our sin and the consequences thereof, or sad about the fact that we got caught, right? There's a vast difference between that and what repentance is. And in our passage as well this morning, we see that salvation is the work of God from the conviction of sin to the confession of faith, and from that confession of faith all the way to its consummation. It is the work of God by grace and according to His mercy. I think if I could set up this passage and set it all up and maybe boil it all down to one thing that I want everybody to hear and to know, and that is this. It is the will and the work of God to save sinners. That's His will, and that's His work. Quite simply, if you wanted to know about who God is, God is a, is a, is a pure and holy and right and true God. That in him there is no wrong, no fault, no uh, impurity whatsoever. And therefore, God is opposed to sin. And yet, at the same time, God loves sinners. And he delights in saving them. He delights in saving them. And that is his will, and that is his work. So much so that God sent his son into the world to save sinners. And as we saw this morning before we took communion, God sent His Son to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, as Paul would say to his brother Timothy, right? It is the will and the work of God to save sinners. Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit are equipping and sending sinners right now, saved by grace, into the world with God's message of reconciliation to win sinners to win sinners to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if you who are sitting here this morning are united to Christ, He is sending you. Yes, even you. Even you, the seasoned saint who is mostly homebound. He is sending you on mission through your faithful prayers for those workers that are in the field. Yes, you, even you, who are an introverted Christian that faithfully serves the congregation members and serves their practical needs because those serving of those practical needs facilitate the preaching of the word, which then equips laborers for the seed-sowing work of gospel proclamation. Whether you know it or not, you are going. He is sending you. He is sending us together. You see... Cultural Christianity assumes that your involvement in the church is to consume what the church offers. But disciples of Jesus Christ view their lives in the church as contributors, as those who contribute to the salvation of souls, those who contribute to other church members' growth in the knowledge of the Lord and the Savior Jesus Christ. And so with that, as a backdrop, I want to dive in deeper to the text this morning. Let's look at verses 27 through 30. Again, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? That is, talking to her. Or, why are you talking with her? Speaking to Jesus. They didn't say those things. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? 
They went out of the town and they were coming to him. So we pick up our study here this morning in John's Gospel with Jesus' disciples returning to Jesus in Samaria after having traveled to get provision for their rabbi, which was their custom to do. The disciples would be students, and as students of a rabbi, they would be responsible to make sure that provision was procured for themselves and their rabbi because they would have desired for him to uh, be able to study the law and to spend his time in prayer. And so as we apply this principle in the church, the faithful church member has work to do, and there's no job that is an insignificant one. See, the duty of church members is to remove obstacles, to free their elders and their pastors of church uh, to do the work of preaching, of prayer, and of soul care. See, if you desire to have better preaching, you desire to have stronger leadership in your church, if you desire to have growth in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the faithful disciple must ask themselves, am I making a contribution? Am I contributing to that? What am I doing that helps facilitate the preaching of the word and prayer? How do I contribute as I ought? Well, the disciples are back here with the teacher in the land of the despised, right? They're in this land of people that they despise, and they find Jesus conversing with a woman, not just any woman, really an unclean woman, a woman of no reputation. Jewish rabbinical tradition said that a conversation between a rabbi and a woman was at best a waste of time, and at worst, a diversion from attending to the study of the Torah. So they have these questions, or they should have, right? Of their rabbi. But because the disciples knew that Jesus himself was not encumbered by culture, he was not encumbered by the culture of sexism and racism that they were encumbered with, they did dare not ask those questions that were on their mind. Like they would say, Woman, what do you want? What do you possibly want from our rabbi? Or, Jesus, why are you talking to her? So at this time, she departs from them, testifying to her encounter with Jesus, the one that she had supposed was a prophet. But yet, she says, maybe this is the Christ. So this brings us to our first point this morning. The Samaritan woman, as she leaves, she departs with a testimony. She is a woman under conviction of sin. What she says as she declares this message to her brothers and sisters, Samaritans, she says, he, this prophet, knows my sin. He called me out. He told me of things that I have kept in the secret part of my heart. But yet, she has not confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior. She has yet to announce that I have turned away from my sin and turned to Christ for forgiveness of sin. Her estimation of Jesus at this point is a Jewish prophet. He is this prophet that has been used of God who can see inside my soul and he knows my condition. And he has made a promise to me. He promised me this life-giving water. He knows of a well to draw from that is greater than our father's uh, Jacob's well. Come and see. She says, do you think this is the Christ? And see, as I said before, brothers and sisters, being sorry for your sin, being remorseful for how your life turned out, being regretful for the path that your chosen sin-filled life has taken you, being sorry for that, 
being sorry for the path that it has gotten you to, being sorry for the consequences of that sin is a far cry from repentance. Merely regretting that your sin has been found out, merely seeing that God is holy and that His judgments are true, understanding that God sent His Son for sin, See, without repentance, an absent of a 180 degree turn from sin and a turning to Christ's death for your sin instead, without a trust in the life-giving blood of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin and new life in that blood, it means that you are merely brought under conviction and it's not a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Christian who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord, I hope that is almost all of us here this morning. Do you come here this morning to sit under the Word of God and expect your life to change when you have no intention of turning from the sin that is revealed to you this morning in the Word and turning in the power of Jesus to obey the instruction from God's Word that you receive? When you come and hear a message preached, do you take that home and say, there is the nugget for the Lord has given me this this morning from His Word. Not that Jeff said something poignant or something that hit me, but God's Word convinced me of something this morning. Do you ever just walk away with no intention of doing anything about it? Do you say, well, God saves, that's what He does. See, then at that point, you know, God, is He really Lord over you at that point? Yes, He's Savior, but is He Lord? If God is Lord, we obey Him, right? If God convinces us of something in His Word, and we know that God is Lord, He is the ruler of my life, and therefore His Word says this, I must do it. I must do His Word. You know how James says, right? That we're not to be just hearers of the Word, but we're also to be doers of the Word. That is the sign of a born-again believer. You see, some of the marks of the genuine Christian is growth in obedience by faith, a progressive and yet constant repentance, an intentional life, striving towards obedience to the Word of God. Caleb and I were talking again this morning about, (laughs) on our way in, about happiness versus holiness. Does the Lord want you to be happy? Is that His ultimate desire? No. Zolomit desires for you to be holy. And to think about this, as we pursue holiness, as we were discussing this this morning, we both are convinced of this. As we grow in holiness, well, the byproduct of that is happiness, isn't it? It's a joy-filled happiness. He doesn't want us to be unhappy. He doesn't desire that everybody's just walking around unhappy. But his big concern is that we would be holy that we would have this progressive and constant repentance, that we would live an intentional life striving toward obedience to the Word of God, intentionally and purposefully entrusting ourselves to the Holy Spirit of God's work of grace in our lives, empowering and enabling you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Notice that the Word says that we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It is a faith that needs to be at work, right? And as we we get to work obeying the word of the Lord, 
Thank God, though, that we don't do that by mustering up some sort of strength in ourselves, some sort of uh, feather that I can put in my cap because I've been so faithfully obedient to His Word this week. No, it's all of grace. It's all of God's work in us, right? So even if we have success, we say, praise be to God. When we have failure, we say, praise be to God for the salvation of Jesus Christ that allows me to repent and turn and, and, and give it another shot tomorrow. Praise be to God because He is working that in us. See, sorrow for our sin, what does it do? It really, it might have a confession of sin. If we're sorry, really sorry about the, the condition that we've gotten ourselves in, the, the consequences of, of a sin-filled life as we were younger, right? And we would maybe confess uh, sin. Well, confession of sin is merely that. Sorrow just confesses sin all by itself. But repentance confesses faith. It confesses not only sin, did I miss the mark, but it confesses faith in Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice for sin. See, repentance says, I have faith in Jesus, and He is both Savior and Lord. He's the Lord over my life. He's a Savior from my life of sin, yes. But He is the Savior that is also the Lord of my life as I move forward in obedience to Him. And that is our response, right? God does, we respond. God loves, we love Him back. God's Word speaks, we pray. It is God initiates all of it, and we are just respondents. And see, even just the idea of being convicted of sin... Being convicted of sin is all of grace. Even to have conviction over your sin is an act of God's grace. Confession of Jesus Christ as Lord is certainly all of grace. The sign that this is true in your life is what? To know this, that the sign that this is true, that you have confessed that your sin to Jesus Christ, which means you are saying the same thing that God says about your sin. That's confession. And then confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. You are saying the same thing that the Father says about Jesus, that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior. You're saying the same thing that God says of Him. The sign that this is true in your life, the sign that the Holy Spirit is working in you, that the Spirit of God is sent to you by grace through faith, in the death, life, and ascension of Jesus Christ is this, that you have a life of repentance and faith, of trust. Further, in John 6, 16, chapter 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Let's move along to verse 31 of our text. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has he brought, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus speaks to the disciples here of spiritual things. 
He says, I have food to eat that you don't know about. And like the Samaritan woman's response in verse 15 that we saw last week as Jesus was talking of spiritual water, she says, give me this water so that I won't have to come here again, that I won't have to be put to shame by coming in front of all these people, you see. She responds in an earthly way, and the disciples respond in an earthly way as well. They say, has anyone brought him something to eat? See, Jesus' response here in verse 34, it echoes Deuteronomy 8.3 that says, and he humbled you, and he let you hunger, and he fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus says, spiritual nourishment comes from the Father above. It comes through obedience to his will. It comes through working together with Him. The will of God and my will is in alignment, Jesus says. The Father and the Spirit, they sustain me, Jesus says. Obedience is spiritual food, He might say, brothers and sisters. Obedience is spiritual food. It is where you get your nourishment from. And as Matthew says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It is where we get fed. I was thinking of this this week and thinking of brothers and sisters that I know that have talked to me at times about um, going through dry spells and uh, periods of time where they feel like they're just kind of going through the motions, where they're kind of playing church, but there really just isn't any joy in Mudville today. I'm going, I'm doing my thing, but I just don't have much joy The joy that I once had in my salvation, it kind of seems maybe like a distant memory. And I would say this this morning, if that's you, maybe ask yourself and ask the Lord, is there an area in which you have ignored God as He's called you to obey something? If you're feeling dry and feeling like you're missing Him, if you feel like you're not being nourished from above, you might ask yourself, is there a place where God has called me to obedience and I just have ignored it. Am I not being fed because I'm not aligning with His will? I'm not engaged in His work. I'm not, that my heart is not aligned with His heart. Could it be that we're not being fed because we're not feeding ourselves by obedience? How many sermons have you listened to and ignored? Are you striving for spiritual nourishment? I would ask this, are you obedient to the will of God? Are you aligned with His will? Sometimes we know His will, but we fail to do it. But this morning, what I want us to do as we are contemplating this is pause and to pray the words of Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12. Create in us, Lord, a clean heart. We ask, O God, that you would renew a right spirit within each one of us. That you cast not away your from us from your presence. Lord, we ask that you would not withhold nourishing Holy Spirit from us. Restore the joy of our salvation in Jesus Christ. Uphold our spirit, Lord, by making us willing to obey according to your word. 
I would ask, Father, that you would help us participate in your work. Amen. Amen. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. We reap the benefits of those who have worked before, those who have worked according to the will of God. You see, the work of God in the world is redeeming sinners and judging sin at the same time. Jesus, in declaring salvation in Himself, Jesus declares that salvation is only in Him, right? You know that. If you've been around a while... (laughs) You know, and if you've been in your Bible a while, Jesus declares that salvation is found only in Him. Well, for Jesus to declare that this work, this work of salvation is only in Himself, see, He's, that is doing the work of God according to the will of God. In John 5, 36, he says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, meaning John the Baptist. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Chapter 6, verse 38, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. John tells us directly in chapter 9 what he's alluding to here. In chapter 9, verse 4, he says, We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Notice what he says. Notice the the phrasing here. We. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking about himself and he's talking to his disciples. And he says, We must do the work. We must work the works of him who sent me. While it is day, night is coming when no one can work. So back to our passage in verse 35. Do you not say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and to see that the fields are white for harvest. See, John here is telling, uh, um, Jesus is telling the disciples here in the book of John, lift up your eyes and see the work of God. Lift up your eyes and see that God is at work. You see, Jesus himself had this divine appointment with the woman at the well, as we saw last week. What Jesus is telling his disciples is, look up and see that your divine appointment is before you. These people whom God has brought you to right now here in this place, the despised people, the people that you feel have no chance whatsoever, these are the ones. Look up and see, this is your divine appointment. God has set this up before you to reap and to sow that which you, to to reap certainly what you didn't work for. This is set up for you. They are white and ready for harvest. This is your divine appointment. Look, this is for you, these despised, the, the maligned, the wretchedly sinful Samaritans. And for us, where is our Samaria? Well, it's kind of all around us, isn't it? (laughs) I think Jesus would tell us, look up and see. Look up and see that your co-workers who are pornographic in their language, your co-workers who are 
using drugs and drinking alcohol on the job. Sorry, Jesse, but just you were talking about this this morning. But see that those, God has appointed you, Jesse, for that place at that time. Though that your field is white for harvest, Jesse. Caleb, your field is white for harvest. Joe, working for a government agency. <laughs> your field is white for harvest as well, right? Where God has you, there are divine appointments for each of us. God has appointed this work for us <laughs> to the wretched, to the maligned, to the despised, to the utterly sinful. See, God is working salvation in these. Jesus would say here to them, lift your eyes from your prejudices. Lift your eyes from your prejudices. Lift your eyes from your preconceived notions. God's work in the world, friends, is to save sinners. I think it's because we don't often say what Paul said to Timothy as we were taking communion. We don't often see ourselves as among sinners. I'm the chief. If we really understood that among sinners, I am the chief, you might lift your eyes and see that the people that you are with are despised, wretched sinners, uh, no worse off than you were. And we might see that as a divine appointment if we lift our eyes and rid ourselves of those prejudices. It is his will that these here, as he's telling them about these Samaritans, it is it is God's will that these will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Some are ready right now to be brought into the fold. Some out there that you are brought to, they need cultivation. They need some irrigation. They might need some planting. Jesus would say, now is the time to work. Now is the time to work. I think sometimes even in the... I, I'm, a, I, I'm a staunch uh, follower of most... Preachers reformed, and some, it seems, sit on their hands and think, well, God saved me, and God does all the work of salvation. I've got nothing to do. It's not the way it works, friends. God works through us, doesn't he? God works through each of us. Think of what, what Paul says about himself. I am an instrument of righteousness. An instrument, a tool in the hand of God to accomplish His work. That's what Jesus is really reiterating to them, is that I must the food that I get, where I get my nourishment from, is that I am a tool in the hand of God doing His work. And He feeds me, and He sustains me, and He supplies me everything I need. As long as He has me here, I'm to be working. And I think for us, we also ought to be working on ourselves as we are working that out too. We are working in ourselves, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. I don't know how many times I stand before the mirror and I go, am I really saved? How can this be? I think if we're honest and we make these honest confessions of the sinfulness of our heart in the deep down places, the secret places that nobody knows about, the stuff you never say in front of anybody else, the stuff you do when you're at home and you're all by yourself, and the thoughts that you have towards others, all those kind of things. If you really boil them down and you thought about the sinfulness and just the wretchedness of those things, and you go, man, am I really saved? And then you read the scripture and you go, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Christ died for that sin. But he doesn't want to leave me there. 
He doesn't desire that I leave there. I need to get to work, working out my salvation, working it out with fear and trembling. I need to be in line with God's work. There is work to be done. And he says, at the same time, you reap and you sow. According to the will of God, we are to partner in his work, sowing the seed of hope through the proclamation of the gospel, wherever it is that God has appointed us. You see, I think sometimes we lack that attitude and that, that desire in ourselves, don't we? Matthew 9, 37, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The harvest is ready, he's saying. But the laborers, there's just few workers. As we already stated, the conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment, this is a work of God. Salvation is the work of God alone from conviction to conversion, from conversion to consummation. What role does the Christian man or woman have? How is it that I am to be doing the work that God wants me to accomplish? Turn with me to the second chapter of Corinthians, or second book of Corinthians, chapter 5. And let's uh, look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Like the disciples in our passage, you see, we are to regard those inside and outside of the community of faith according to God's work and according to God's will. Since we are not sovereign in salvation and God the Father is, and it is God's choice to save sinners, we regard people not according to our own fleshy culture, not according to our own cultural standard. We are to regard them as those to whom God has appointed for us to either sow or to reap. As we look at 2 Corinthians 5, further, verse 17, we read through verse 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled unto God. See, it is our duty, it is our aim, it is our work to reconcile sinners to God. Since he did not count our trespasses against us, we proclaim the message of reconciliation to all whom God has divinely appointed for us and to us. And you know what? It is often to the unlikely that God will send us. It is highly unlikely, according to the flesh, that he revealed himself to any one of you or to me. You're kind of highly unlikely. Those of you who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, highly unlikely that you would have been chosen. Highly unlikely, certainly highly unlikely that I would have been chosen. Highly unlikely. So when he appoints us to places, where does he appoint us? To the highly unlikely, right? 
He appoints us to the highly unlikely. And he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the words of reconciliation. The testimony of God's conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That is our testimony, right? That we are convicted of our sin. We are convicted that God is righteous. We are convicted that God is the judger of sin and the right judge, judger of sin. And our testimony is to this, to the mystery of the gospel to the mystery of the atoning death and the resurrection of Jesus who saved us and reconciled us to God. We testify to His work in us and we testify to the work of Jesus on behalf of sinners. All of this is God's gracious work and it is our duty. Notice here that, that Paul tells the Corinthians to plead. Our plea is to those with whom God has granted us an audience. Put quite simply, this is our plea. It's a simple plea. Be reconciled to God. That's our plea. We have the words of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. Of course, what comes with that, right? Conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment, because then they have to know that they're not, that they, they're far apart from God, that they're separated from Him. Conviction has to come. But we have the words of reconciliation that Christ died for sinners and that that is God's purpose, work, and will in the world is to save sinners. That's His work. Our message is this. Be reconciled to God and then we trust them over to the sovereignty and the will of God to save them. But chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians says this in verses 1 and 2. Working together with Him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For He says, in a favorable time, I listened to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Jesus, in our passage, is saying this to His disciples. Behold, the day of salvation is here. Lift your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, for you today, the message is the same as it was in Jesus' day to his disciples in John's gospel. To be nourished from above, you are to do God's will. You are to be in partnership with him on his mission to save sinners. He is at work already. The point is, join Him. He is at work already. Join Him. The fields are white for harvest. Do not concern yourself with the results. If one comes to faith, you have but entered into a harvest for which you did not labor. I read this quote by Charles Spurgeon, and I really, it really just sunk in to me. If no one comes to faith, in your whole life of ministry, will you still proclaim the gospel? If no one ever comes to faith under your preaching ministry, will you still preach the gospel? I had to pause on that for a moment. Wow, that's a tough deal. That's a tough thought. There is no guarantee that anyone is going to come to faith under the preaching that we do and under our message. There's no, there's no guarantee of that. But we're either sowing 
or we're reaping. Somebody may come behind us. Somebody may come and be the pastor in this congregation and I'm dead and gone. And they reap the salvation of souls that were sown because I was faithful to, to do what it is that God called me to, to partner with Him. That same thing could happen with all of us, right? If no one comes to faith, you've sowed a seed for another's watering or another's harvesting. But all of this is the work of God alone. And some of you might ask, how can I enter the work of God for when health reasons I don't leave my house? How can I enter this work when I am not an evangelist, I am not a teacher, I'm not a preacher? I would say, first off, engage in your local church. And how so? Pray for your church. Pray for your church members. Engage in the church. 1 Corinthians 12 tells us, as it is, there are many parts, yet there's one body. And in another place it says, now you are the body of Christ individually, and you are members of it. Secondly, I would say, contribute to the mission of the church according to the measure of God's grace in accordance with the gracious ways in which, and the varied ways in which He's gifted each one of us differently. Romans 12, 4 through 8 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. You see, your unique giftings contribute to the mission of those who receive divine appointments to accomplish the work of God according to the will of God by freeing them from other encumbrances. If I am but the armpit of the Lord, I cannot be the mouth, right? I can't be the foot and I can't be the hand, right? But I need to help the hand be the hand. I need to help the foot be the foot, right? As I contribute to them, then they are freed from the encumbrances of trying. See, if I'm the armpit and I'm trying to be the mouth, it doesn't work, right? I'm, I'm out of my element. If I'm trying to do something that I wasn't designed to do, I'm out of my element. But if, as we work together as a body, guess what? We free each other up to operate according to how God has designed us. Our unique giftings contribute to the mission by uh, removing encumbrances. And then finally, here's the thing. It's so that we can all do the, the, the ministry of reconciliation, right? Well, finally, here's one thing. Everyone can do this. Everyone. There's not a person who's born again, believer in Jesus Christ, who cannot do this one thing. Pray. Everyone can pray. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. And Jesus says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So let us look at this final section of our text, verses 39 through forty. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. 
They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Testimony, and there's revelation. There's being under conviction of sin, and there's confession. Many Samaritans believed in him because of the woman's testimony. A woman under conviction, sowing a seed that in her mind, just this just might be the Christ. And then those became seekers and said, stay with us a while, Jesus. We want to hear more from you. The seed had begun to germinate in them. The seed had been planted and it had become to germinate. Then by revelation of the Holy Spirit concerning Jesus comes the ones that are ripe for harvest, who confess not only convention, con, uh, conviction of sin, but that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for sin and for sinners, the rescuer, the reconciler, the savior of the world. See, John records in this gospel, this first confession, not coming from the apostle Peter, as the synoptic Gospels do. Not coming from Peter, but coming from these Samaritans. You are indeed the Savior of the world. Which lends understanding that the church of Jesus Christ is not built upon Peter, as some might suppose. Not built upon Peter, but built upon the confession that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of the world. The Samaritan woman here is like many in our churches today. She's a person under conviction, sorry for sin, but not yet turned from sin and turned to Christ, confessing Him as Lord, the ruler of my life. There are some who sit in church for years and years, and they could tell you and know that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for sinners. They're convicted of sin, righteousness, and and judgment. Uh, Though they're sorry, they desire to remain their own Lord still. They might be sorry for sin, but they desire to remain their own Lord. And they don't know Jesus in a saving way. What is necessary for you today if Jesus is not Lord? It is to turn from your sin. It is to believe in Jesus Christ, the Savior of your soul, and to now confess Him as both Lord over your life and the rescuer and the reconciler to God. Church, let us ask God to ready us to do His work in reconciling sinners to Himself. Father, we ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would go before us and with us. You would go before us in convicting those who are divinely appointed souls for which we are to reap and to sow. Holy Spirit, comfort us, correct us in trusting you for the results Lord, we submit ourselves to grace. We know that grace saves us. We also should know that grace enables and empowers us that we might work 
and do of your good pleasure. We ask, Lord, that you would work that in us, Lord, that we as a church body would be on mission with you, doing your will, accomplishing the work that you have sent us to do, to reconcile sinners to yourselves. That is our work. We praise and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.